hang on to Christmas. It's good. We were walking around our neighborhood last night, and I was seeing those who were out taking advantage of the um, Christmas lights and the warm weather coming down, and there are those who are, you know, hanging on a little bit longer. So if you're hanging on a little bit longer with your red sweaters, that's great too. <laughs> Praise be to God. We enjoyed that. All right, so my name is Jeremy. Welcome here. We're going to continue to worship today. And I'm going to remember that I got an extra minute on that clock. So anyways, over Christmas, one of the things, the fun things we do as a family is um, my wife knows there's a lot of kid time. There's no school. We're going to be inside. We got to do something. So it's a big, big, big pile of library books, bigger than our normal pile. And this is one we uh, really enjoyed over the last couple of weeks. Here's a book that I'm holding my hand. There's also a slide up on the screen so you can see it a little more clearly. It's called A Christmas Tapestry by Patricia Polacco. And it's a beautiful book about a young boy named Jonathan who is a preacher's child. And what happens is he's in Tennessee, but then his dad accepts a call to go to Detroit. And it's a major transition for the family in Tennessee. He enjoys the woods and the hills and his soccer team and his school. And he's all sort of settled he moves to inner city of Detroit, and everything's different, and the church is run down, the parsonage is a mess, super cold, major adjustment, and he's really struggling with it. He's sort of questioning his dad, but more than just his dad, he's questioning God and just saying, hey, dad, you know, I get that you believe that God has a reason for everything, but I do not understand this change in our life. Everything previously seemed to be so in sync, but now... It's really a mess. And so as time unfolds, what happens is the dad says, you know, just have faith, you know, believe God will see us through. The universe unfolds as it should. And so just roll up your sleeves and let's make the best of it. Here we go. So all that summer before school starts, they're working on the parsonage. They're working on the church. They're trying to get all nice and fixed up for the fall kickoff. And they've... Cleaned everything, painted everything. It's going to be bright, beautiful, new. And then there's a big snowstorm. And as you probably know, one of the things that happens in Michigan is these ice dams on the roof. And a giant ice dam builds uh, frozen ice around the melting gutters and stuff. And then all the snow piles up there. And then when some sun comes out, it melts that snow. But it can't get past the dam, so inevitably it just runs straight down. The wall. And this is what happens to the sacristy wall. They had this big, beautiful, you know, spot at the back of their church where they're going to have a brand new painting and they're going to do the unveiling on Christmas Eve and they're all excited about it. And sure enough, the caretaker comes over and he pulls back the wall and it's just soggy plaster. They touch it and boom, everything comes down and spirits are broken. And the kid's like, I've worked. We've worked, dad. Like you said, all summer we moved. We did this. We did that. I don't get it. You know, dad's still holding steady, doing his best for his family. And so they got to do something. So mom's ordered some Christmas decorations from downtown. So they go to get in their car and... Yeah, the car won't start. Of course, it's battery's dead. It's cold, whatever. So they got to charge battery, take the bus. And as you know, taking the bus just turns a 20-minute trip into, I don't know, two-hour trip or whatever. So they're going downtown. It's... Cold and snowy, still waiting on different bus changes. Kids freezing. They're coming back home. And at one point, 
He's looking around the corner trying to find the bus, doesn't see the bus, doesn't see the bus. And a voice comes from behind him, little old lady. She's like, it's always late. He's like, huh? Turns around, the bus, it's always late. The kid's like, oh, okay, great, especially on the snowstorm. Said, come over here and have some tea and cookies. Well, sure enough, you know, little old lady offering a young boy tea and cookies. He's there. So dad, little old lady, huddled up, freezing to death, waiting on the bus, super encouraged. And they say, ma'am, thank you so much. How can we return your kindness? And she's like, well, just share this with me. I'd like nothing more than to, you know, warm your hearts this night. And then when they get back to the boys' stop, uh, the first stop, the little old lady still has like two more stops to go. And they say, hold on, hold on. We think our battery's going to be charged. Hang out with us for a little bit. We'll take you the rest of the way. It'll be much quicker. Have some tea. She says, sure, I'd be delighted to. This is how their friendship begins. And, and the story unfolds. And I'll tell you the rest of it at the end of the sermon here in a little bit. But it's a beautiful story that's called the Christmas Tapestry. And what I see in that is very much the way God works in our lives. In a story, it's neat and tight and short and contained. In our lives, it's much more difficult to see. But here's here's one of the things that I was wrestling with as we began this series in Ephesians is that we have a lot of different experiences. All of us do. Huge variety of experiences, some good, some bad, some bad things that happen to us, some good things that happen to us, some bad things that we do, some good things that we do. And we've got to process these things. And we're asking ourselves, how do I interact with my life trajectory? How do I process my experiences? How do I interpret the things that I have done or others have done to me after this path? Perhaps you're doing this as you're thinking about the new year. And uh, the little boy in the story, as you can imagine, he's wrestling with this because things were good and all of a sudden they seem bad. And I don't know if you've been there, but my guess is you have. I know I have many different times in my life. I said, boy, oh, no. What do we do here? And all of a sudden you look at these things and you think, are these just a bunch of random, disconnected series of events, or is there any alignment with anything? How do we process our experiences? Over the next few minutes on this bus ride, I'll take you on three stops, which I hope will answer those questions for you as much as they can be now. And those stops are basically this. Here's a slide, and you can fill in the blanks in a little bit. It is how... Why and then apply. How how do we do this? How do we how do we process our experiences? Why do we do it this way? And then how do I apply that to my life? Because it's really cool if I hear the answer on Sunday morning, but I actually want to do it on Sunday night and Monday morning in the middle of the week when I'm dry. How, why, and apply. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We're going to do this book for the next few months, and I think it is going to be awesome. This is a beautiful book, and it's got all kinds of things to teach us about God's will for our lives. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by... 
the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So here's a typical first century greeting. If you're a uh, form structure analyst, you'll look at this and say, oh, it's got this, it's got this, it's got that. But what's interesting about it is like the rest of Scripture, everything in it is intentional. Every word is put there on purpose by the Holy Spirit himself. He chose these words. These are not accidents. This is not Paul's just, this is how I think I say every day. These are on purpose. And so immediately what we learn from this is that it's a bit contradictory or antithetical to his current experience. This greeting does not make sense. You just read this. I just read this. We probably went, blah, blah, blah. Sounds like a nice liturgical Bible opening. Let's get to the stuff. No, no, no. Here the stuff begins. In this context, what's happening is the Apostle Paul is under arrest. Let me say that again. He's under arrest. It's not necessarily the best day of his life. It's not the day he just led the giant crusade and 10,000 people came walking forward and everybody's hugging him, telling him what a great preacher he is. No, no, he's under arrest. You're like, wait, didn't you say that about the last series you were talking about with Paul? Actually, yeah. (laughs) He's under arrest a lot. His life is no picnic. It is really not that fun. It's not most of us would choose if we had an option for our career or ministry path. Here's what I want to do. I want to be like the Apostle Paul. What happened to him? 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 29. Five times he received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes. He was whipped on five separate occasions. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times... He was shipwrecked. A night and a day, he was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, he's in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from his own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. The Lord will provide. (laughs) This is hard. Look at this guy. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure of my regular duties, my anxiety from all the other churches. Who is weak? I'm not, am I not weak? Who's made to fall? And I am not indignant. Look, Paul's been through some stuff. There's no way I want to sit up here and pretend this morning that I've been through all the stuff you have. We all have different experiences. How do we process those? What do we do? Can we, like Paul, start off when we see someone having been through all that and be like, grace and peace, and be for real? We may say that on Sunday morning, but I wonder how much of it's really for real. Right? Like, grace and peace. Uh-huh. Grace and peace. It was great. How was your holiday? <laughs> grace and peace. No, really. He's serious. Grace and peace. So how in the world does a man who's been through all that, who's under arrest, not exactly the most pleasant of circumstances, begin with grace and peace, blessing God and being sincere. How does he start like that? Well, he's already given you the answer. The place where he starts is where we should start. 
Start here. You know that little big red button, the front, that sign? Start here. Go back, whatever it is, to the eternal will of God. The first thing he says in this passage is, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why are things going the way they are? The will of God. Start here. This is how you begin to process things. Now listen, whatever you do, don't start at the pressure point. When I talk about starting at the will of God, what I'm saying is at the eternal will of God, way back here. A lot of times what we do, and it's exactly the wrong way to go, this will lead you into destruction, is we start at the problem. We say, oh man, something bad happened to me. Why in the world did this happen? And we're focused on the problem, right? Here's the problem. I see it. It's in front of me. I can't get around it. Why? Well, what we inevitably do then is we say, well, this is bad. Is it bad? Yes, it's bad. Well, then why did God let it happen? Well, either he couldn't prevent it, which means he's not powerful, which means he's not God, or he just didn't really care to stop it, which means he's not loving or means he's not good. Or worse still, he's not either of those things, and he just isn't. There is no God. You see, if you start with a problem and you try to reason back from the problem, what you end up with is an even bigger problem. Don't start at the problem and try to go from there. That's the wrong starting place. You're starting with that thing and you're trying to reason back to God. What you got to do is take that thing and set it on the side and start with God. Say, yeah, here's a perfect, eternal, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-good, all-loving God. That's what we begin with. And yeah, there's some bad things over here. But we start here, and then we can deal with this stuff later. But if we start here, then we throw the good away, and all we have is the bad. You have to start. Your starting point in reasoning through your experiences is the eternal, predestined, foreknown will of God. That's where you begin. So number one, you start pre-creation, you start pre-fall, you start pre-evil, before anything bad ever happened, before the planets were spinning in space. However long you think that was, you start there, way, way back when. And then you realize that God has a plan. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, so we're not talking about this stuff yet, we're still talking about way back. We dropped all the junk. And we're way back when. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, He chose us. He chose us. He chose you, church. Do you hear that? He chose you. He selected you. Before you did anything good or anything bad. So it has nothing to do with you. This is God's eternal plan. He chose you in Him when? Before the foundation of the world. Way, way, way back when. It wasn't like, oh, they had a baby. It's so cute. I think I'll take that one. Oh, not sure about that one. Well, maybe it's a fixer-upper. No. Before the foundation of the world, before there was any life or breath or anything else, he chose you. Why? Whoa, do you hear this? I am about to tell you your purpose in life. Why did he choose you way, 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 way back when? Why are you put here on this planet? What is the very meaning 
of our existence? What is it all about? We can answer that from this verse. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? So that we should be, we must be, we have to be. Here are the things God designed us to be, holy and blameless before him. That is why you're here. That is why you exist. But I'm not holy, neither are you. Oh, no, it's all broken. Don't worry, there's a fix. He chose us for this, and here's the fix. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according, oh, look, there it is again, to the purpose of his what? Will. There's that will thing. You see, it's, if you're into this, it's a really neat inclusio. Starts with it, ends with it. Start, stop. Here's the point. This is why we're landing on the will of God. Not the problem, not the other thing, the will. Because it's the will that's driving this thing forward. It is the will that is holding all things together. Um, I think you've seen, perhaps back there on the um, introduction slides, this beautiful artwork, this picture of the armor of God. And the reason for that is this. This Ephesians series is like, I can't remember, there it is. Um, whoops. Can you go back to the one that's got the subtitles? There we go. Strength, friends, and armor for the fight. Chapter 6, at the very end, he's giving you all these applications. But right now he's building his case. And so what I'm doing here in this artwork and what our communications director and our graphic design people have pulled together is the idea that, yeah, life is a fight. It is a battle. I don't care if you live in the most prestigious neighborhood in North America or any city ghetto, wherever. The reality is this. Life is hard. People, emotions, sickness, sin, death, whatever. It's hard. And we need some help. We need armor. We need strength for the fight. And there's all these blessings the Apostle Paul is going to line out in this book and say, this is what God gives you to help you get through this. This is how you manage. But what's holding it all together is the will of God. That's the chain links in the armor that hold these plates on. It's the will. That is the hand that is propping up the soldier from behind. That is the glue and the binding and all the leather seams that is making it movable yet strong. It is the will of God is this unseen force pushing things forward. It is different than the force in Star Wars. It is different than the unseen eye in the Lord of the Rings. It is not this thing that is looking for balance and hoping to win, but it is thing that will win even though it has challengers, it cannot be overcome. Because it is coming from the almighty, omnipotent, and good God. What flows from him and is of him is like him. Therefore, there's this power that's moving things forward, and it's called the will of God. Before the foundation of the world, according to the will of God, this is how he works. So when you're processing your experience then, the first thing you got to do is go back to the will of God. You don't start with the spilt milk or the broken plate or the whatever. You say, okay, hold on, hold on. Wait, before I get all tangled up in this, What's the eternal will of God? He wants me to be holy and blameless. Okay, how am I going to respond to this? (laughs) That changes things, doesn't it? All of a sudden, I just realized, 
My goal is to be holy and blameless. I'm not holy and blameless. I need patience. Man, I need wisdom. I need joy. I need love. I need faith. And I've asked God for those things. And maybe, just maybe, this is here to teach me that. I don't really want it. I don't need to. I didn't think I needed that. Right now is a really good time for patience. Right now is a really good time for grace. Right now is a really good time to do the thing that he's called me to do and learn through this experience a little bit more about him. So here's this thing, and here's this call, and this call is the thing that's supporting me, this power that's behind me, that's pushing me forward, and I can rest in that. And I begin to process it, and I realize, you know what, I'm going to have to ask myself some difficult questions. Because when I just look at this experience, if this is all I'm processing, I'm starting to get upset. But if I look at the eternal will of God, I need to ask myself some difficult questions. If you want to write these down, you can. Otherwise, you can just rewatch or re-listen to the sermon later. But here's some questions you can ask. You begin to process the experience. How do I get back to the eternal will of God? Pastor Jeremy, it's really cool. He said, will of God. How do I get back to that? Here. Ask yourself the question, do you believe in that moment when the proverbial stuff hits the fan, do you believe that the will of God will determine the outcome? Do you believe that? Am I believing that right now in this moment? Am I believing that? For good or for ill, what I may interpret, whatever it is, God will determine the outcome. Do I actually believe that right now? That's a penetrating question. You can ask a similar way. Do I believe that God determined the end from the beginning before any of this ever even started? Do I actually believe that God decided that? Do I believe that the will of God is more powerful than any other force at work in the world. We look at 2019 and we see a lot of stuff coming down the pipe, but we're scratching our heads with shutdowns and budgets and fights and injustice and international politics and this and that and this and that and going, whoa, there's a lot of stuff and not to mention my immediate environment. Do I believe that despite the force of evil, the tsunami, the seemingly overwhelming wave of bad stuff, that God's will is even more powerful than that? Do I believe that it is the most powerful force at at work in the entire world? Do I believe that God's will is even more powerful than my will? Even when I make mistakes. Yeah, yeah, I trust in him, Pastor Jeremy, but I'm not sure I trust in me. (laughs) God's got it all right in the end, but I don't have anything together right now. So what do I do? You still believe back here in him. His will is even more powerful than our mistakes. His will can even overcome our mess-ups. Do I believe that God's got this? Do I really believe that right now? And then, do I believe that it's for good? Do I actually believe That this is for good. Even though I can't see it. Even though it doesn't feel that way. Do I believe it? And once you ask those selves your questions, if you're like me, you're probably automatically like, oop. (laughs) Okay. I definitely wasn't believing that at the moment. 
So what will we do? Well, we repent. We repent of our unbelief. We repent of our doubt. We repent of despair. We repent of fear. There's nothing we should fear other than God. And that's not a buck up, hold your chin up, be tough sort of statement. That's a confession statement where you say, I'm sorry for letting this thing look bigger than you. Lord, you're bigger than that. We repent of our fear. And then we got to ask, am I in the way of this? You know, if it's God's will, what am I doing that's not in alignment with that? Is there anything I need to confess? Is there anything I need to make right, both with God or with someone else? You know, the first one's sometimes kind of easy because you're like, oh, dear God, please help me. And the second one, like, I really don't want to go talk to them. Sometimes we got to do both. And even if that other person isn't ready to make it right with you on your half, you still need to make it right with them. You can say, I can forgive you, and then you leave it at that. You don't have to jump into the argument for everything else. You just set the rest on the table. Stop. Whatever it is, you start here. You go back to the eternal will of God. Step one, what, what do we do? How do we get back there? Go to the will of God. Why? Well, I've already kind of given this away, but it's because we're in a fight. You know, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, that same spot that's got all the armor in it, verse 10, also says the reason you got to put it on is because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this precious darkness. Yes, the will of God is one. Yes, there is no contest. But yes, there is significant evil, and yes, there is opposition. So the reality is, even though the battle is guaranteed, there's going to be some heavy fighting along the way. Your life will not be easy, neither will mine. Look at the Apostle Paul, look at Jesus, look at any other apostles. It was no cakewalk. Life is hard. We know we're in a fight, but it's God's will that secures us. God's will is the well from which our confidence flows. God's will is our fallback. We can say to ourselves, life may not be perfect right now, but just you wait. It will be. It will be. Life will be perfect. I will be perfect. You will be perfect. Everything will be just right. And it's not just pie in the sky fluff. It's a new heavens and a new earth with physical bodies on this planet. It's concrete. It's real. It's a little while. But then death will be no more. God's will will help us be gracious with ourselves because Jesus' blood is sufficient for all of my sins. I can confess my sins. If I didn't have his covering, there's no reason for me to confess. Because then I'm just adding to my pile of guilt. But if I truly believe that his blood covers all of my sins, then I've got stuff in the bank to cover what's left. I can confess. Because Jesus forgave. It's my fallback. It completes me. It comforts me. It moves me. It bumps me back along when I get off track. That's what's happening there. God's will is moving you back. He's waking you up. He's not letting you stray. He's pulling you into alignment. God's will gives us grace. God's will secures us. That's the answer. Why? Why? Why trust in God's will? Because it secures us. That's the thing that's holding the glue, the chain, the leather, the armor together. God's will. God's will. So how do we process our experiences? Point one, 
Whatever it is, you start here. <clears throat> point two, because and that here is the eternal will of God. And point two is because it's God's will that secures us. So how then do I do that today? Let's apply it now. Point one, point two, point three. What, why, apply. What, God's will, why, because it's the thing that secures us. How do I apply it? The way I want you to apply it is really just to claim it. I mean, I'm going to give you a couple ways. But the first first spot is just to claim it. Like, here's where I become a name it, claim it preacher. <laughs> I hate that theology, by the way, because we just read about how terrible Paul's life is. So I'm not going to claim a new house or a new Porsche or a new truck or whatever for Christmas. We can't even do that with healing. There will be some good good people who will mean well, and they'll come to you in your sickness, and they'll say, just have enough faith and God will heal you. That's not the case. Didn't happen to Paul, and he had a whole lot more faith than anyone here in this room. It's not the case. Sometimes God does, sometimes he doesn't, and that's a mystery left to him predetermined in his eternal will. And we don't know why. We can't figure it out, so let's not pretend that we can't. Here's the thing. First thing you do is you claim it. What do you claim? Not money, not health, not wealth. You claim this. This is what Paul claims. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, it says, in verse 3, spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. I've underlined some of these. You can download the slides later. What are the spiritual blessings? Look, he chose us. That's one that I'm chosen. God, you chose me. This was your idea. Why would you choose me if you were to let me fail? You wouldn't choose something and throw it away. We are your workmanship, and you will be faithful to complete your project. So you design this thing. It's on you. The responsibility lies on him. You can claim that right here because he chose us. We didn't choose him. He chose us. God, you chose me. This says you chose me, God. If you chose me, don't leave me. Don't fail me. Hold to me now. I need you. God, you chose me. One of the spiritual blessings that he chose us. Another is that he predestined us. For what? For adoption. Like, not only did you choose me, you brought me into the family. I, like, have the right to run into your bedroom, jump up on your lap, wrap my arms around your shoulders, say, Daddy, 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 it's time to get up. It's time to get up. Let's go play. Come on, it'll be fun. Hi, Daddy, welcome home. You have that right. God expects you to run boldly to the throne. If you don't, you're not taking advantage of one of the privileges he's given you. He's given you this right to come to him and call on him and benefit from his joy, his strength, his love, his encouragement as a good Father, he chose you. He predestined you. He did it on purpose to be adopted, to come into his presence and claim your benefits as a family member. And so when you begin to process those experiences and you're struggling because it doesn't add up and it doesn't make sense, you go back to the eternal will of God and you see, what is your will for me, Lord, that I be holy and blameless? Okay, if that is the case, then I'm coming to you right now in this moment I don't feel holy, and I'm definitely not blameless, but I need you, and I've been chosen, and it's your job, and as one of your sons, I need your help. And you come in. And when you come in, you say, Lord, that patience that you promised, that wisdom that you give, that grace, the capacity to love, 
The opportunity to share my faith. The actual joy of sacrificial giving that will help me give in such a way that it's not begrudging, but it's with goodness and gladness. God, give me that right now that I might live. And from those, from those things that the Lord will grant to you that you can claim, flow grace and peace. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by, louder please, the will of God, grace and peace. When you go back to the eternal will of God and rest in it as your secure spot, and then you process your experiences through it, what you discover is grace and peace. That's how it works. There's the funnel. So long, so many times we don't do it that way. You know, we're stuck on this thing. And sometimes it takes us a long time to get through that thing, and that's normal. And no one expects you to be healed and perfect overnight. That's not reality either. But every time you go back into that struggle that you once had or you continue to have or you seem to have every single day of your life, you do it the same way. You go back to the eternal will of God. Say, why did he choose me to be holy and blameless? What benefits has he given me? Oh, spiritual blessings, chosen, predestined, adopted. What rights do I have to claim? Forgiveness, healing, love, patience, wisdom, faith, giving, joy. And I process those, not on this, but on this. Then I begin to experience Eternal life. Sometimes, though, it takes a while, as I said, and we just got to wait. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not neat and tidy like this book. Book is neat and tidy. You want to know how it ends? Yeah? All right. Well, little Jonathan meets this old lady at the book stop, or bus stop. Sorry, book stop, bus stop. We'll edit that out. We got good TD guys. So, he meets this little old lady. They share their cup of tea. They go back to their house. Sacristy walls ruined. But along the way, what had happened is to warm up before they went to the bus stop, they stopped in this antique store. And the kid's like, hey, Dad, there's this beautiful blanket. You know, it's laying off to the side. Why don't we get that? We'll cover up the wall. And maybe at least that'll be some bit of redemption. Dad's like, sorry, don't have them enough. The guy's like, well, how much are you, you know, how, how much do you have? You know, I thought, well, $15. Merry Christmas, it's yours. Oh, you know, so dad takes it home. He's got it in wrap under his arm, no big deal. Well, the lady's having her tea with mom, and they're enjoying their chat. And kid and dad go and they hang up the blanket. And the lady comes into the room, and she's just like, Whoa. you know, old lady, she's about to follow her. I mean, they're grabbing her, you know. And they're like, what is it, ma'am? And she's like, I made that. He's like, why? That's impossible. The dad's talking to him. He's like, no, me. Say, no, no, like 60 years ago in Germany, I made that. And he's like, okay. He's like, look, on the bottom left, those are my initials, Rachel, Hannah, Rebecca, whatever. Zucker. Zucker was the last name. And then they look, and sure enough, there's her initials. And she said, that was my chupa. She's Jew. And it's her wedding wedding covering. Whew. 
wedding covering. You know, it's like to be the banner over them when they're getting married. And then what happens to that big, beautiful blanket that she's handmade is it becomes a coverlet on their wedding bed. And then when their children are born, <laughs> they wrap their kids in it and name them. And this blanket is supposed to follow them all the days of their lives. But they lost it. Because the Nazis came, ripped them apart. There's no kids. They went to separate concentration camps. And the assumption is both of them have died, male and female. So she sees this thing. She's bringing back all these memories. She pulls back the thing on her arm. There's, you know, the scribbly, ugly tattoo with her numbers. And the dad's just like, wow, it's too much. Look, you take this blanket. <laughs> Don't worry, but go home. This is yours. And she's like, no, no, no. no. I know that this, if there's just something. <laughs> tell me that this was meant to be. She's like, all right. Okay, fine, we'll keep it. They take her home. Next day, the plaster comes. It's like Christmas Day, you know, Christmas Eve. You know, you, you're following me, right, John? Old, old man. Last name, Zucker. And uh, he sees my He's like, oh, what in the world is <laughs> going on? He almost falls over. And they're like, uh, what is it? He's like, this is my wife made this. 60 years ago in Germany, but we were separated and we went to different camps and she died. And they're just going. She's <laughs> she's not dead. So they take him and this old guy runs up three flights of stairs like a gazelle. <laughs> He's there and there they are. It's a beautiful, beautiful part. This little boy reads. Here's a picture. They're just shocked and calling out each other's names. And the little boy says, Then the sound came. He knew he'd never hear again. It was a sound of joy. Sixty years, separation, destruction, death, misery. Perhaps you should give up hope and faith. Maybe there's no God. Maybe he's no good. Maybe he's bad. Maybe he can't prevent evil. I don't know. The Holocaust sucks, right? I don't have anything to compare to that. And I don't understand that at all. You read these stories of lice and abuse, and death and gas. And they're a Bad things that happen. If you start there, you'll never get to where you need to be. If you go back, you drop that. You start at the eternal will of God. Say, you know what? Before the foundation of the earth, he chose us in him to be holy and blameless in love. Then, from that flow, grace and peace. When you feel that, then all of a sudden you can respond like Paul in the same way he does. And this is really the cry of every believer down through the centuries. Blessed 
be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will reunite us with our beloved. For his banner over us is love. Father, we thank you for your perfect and eternal will. I do not get it. I don't understand. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I don't know why good people do bad things. I don't know why I'm part of it, and I don't know why we're chosen. But I know that you're good. I know that you're in control. I know that you love. Lord God, I pray with all my might that you would help me to rest in that. In 2019 and forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.